0: All right, church, um, take your Bibles. John chapter 6, I am so glad I didn't wear that same shirt because I was like that close to wearing the same exact shirt, and that would have been a little awkward. Uh, but anyway, John chapter 6, where we're going to be when we say other campuses uh, around four counties in western North Carolina. There's so many cool stories coming out. Uh, of every single campus, from Brevard to Hendersonville uh, to West Asheville to Franklin, anyway. So keep praying, keep working, keep focused on the mission that God has for us. And if you're watching online, thank you very much. We've got folks from Florida, Arizona, Kansas, Scotland. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I mean, just kind of, Scotland, sc- can't even say it, Scotland. And... Uh, uh, Karen and Joe in Montana, thank you very much uh, for joining us. If you ever find yourself in the beautiful 828, I know some of you from Florida will find yourself here, so please come and uh, join us sometime uh, on uh, online. Got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, next week uh, is Father's Day, and um, you know we did a bunch of stuff for Mother's Day, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, for Father's Day, and so um, three words that are a hint, uh, bacon, and... Uh, Beef jerky. I'll just leave it at that. All right, bacon, beef jerky. That's that's the hint. And then we got Adventure Weeks uh, starting up after that. And then on the 3rd of July, our friend, Mr. Tim Tebow is going to be back and he's going to be preaching out of the gospel of John in John chapter 10. And we're going to have an arm wrestling contest up here because I need a dose of humility. And uh, so he's going to be back with us and it'll be awesome. Great time to bring a friend as. Well, we also got a bunch of merchandise we're going to give away at different campuses uh, as well, so be prepared uh, for that. And here's where we are. Um, John chapter 6, before we get there, I told you this story one time, but if you let it sit on the shelf for a few years, you can bring it back again. So here's what happened about six or seven years ago. uh, Our church was responsible for putting on a large pastor's conference uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, it was going to be like in, in June but in the middle of the winter uh, myself and some of the senior team guys we went there for a scouting trip cuz it was going to be at the big convention center there was a lot of logistics you got about at that point, you probably had about 9000 pastors showing up and so you got a lot of little stuff you got to take care of make sure the speakers have all they need all that stuff being said so we fly in there to uh, baltimore in the dead of winter And as we fly in there, I didn't really pay much attention to uh, the weather forecast, but as we're flying in, I noticed that this doesn't look good. So we fly in there, we land, we're on our way to the convention center, we get some lunch, and at lunch we start seeing these news reports that the airport has shut down. It is such a bad storm, temperatures were plummeting, snow was coming down, they shut the airport down. Man, that thing just plummeted. You started seeing nights where the wind chills like below zero. So we do all that. We got about two days there, and so we finish all our logistics one evening, and we thought, hey, we're going to go see a movie, all right? So we, there's a movie theater about eight blocks down, and being the fact that it's like zero degrees with negative wind chill, we are like, we are going to do that Greek word called Uber, and we're going to Uber down to see that. We're not walking eight blocks to go down there. We're going to go see Lone Survivor, all right? And, uh, and again, we go down this, It's this, it's a true story. It's about these... Um, Rangers that are shot down, and one survived, and I mean, it's just like tough, and they're going through so much stuff. Most of them, except the lone survivor, they're killed. I mean, it just, testosterone gets going, all of that. So we get out of that movie, and, I mean, we're fired up, because we just saw two hours of toughness, I mean, that's what we did. We saw two hours of guys laying it on the line, dying for their country, and so with all of that, we're like, well, we're not going to... We're not going to Uber back to the hotel. I mean, we're tougher than that. I mean, if they, if they can sacrifice all, we can walk eight blocks in the snow in minus, degree, minus zero temperatures. And so we, we start off with the best of intentions. I mean, we start off like, we're gonna do this. We're encouraging each other, come on, we can, we jog, loved ones, I just gotta tell you, we made it about two blocks, all right? We made it about two blocks, dove into this restaurant, called Uber for the next six blocks, and what that always reminds me of, it's kinda like that famous, uh, famous theologian, Mike Tyson. He says, everybody's got a strategy until you punch them in the face. In other words, it's like, you always have this amazing plan and then you get punched with reality, and all of a sudden your resources, your resolve, your I'm gonna make this happen, oftentimes just disintegrates in the face of what, the, what, you're, what, you're, what you're facing, the trial, the storm. We see that exact scenario play out in the story today when you've got experienced fishermen that all of a sudden find themselves in a situation that they cannot handle. Now you're going to see in the story, they try hard, they're exhausted, they give it their best effort, but bottom line is they have to have a resource that is outside of themselves. The story today is one of Jesus' most famous miracles. If you're like top five most famous miracles, this one and the one right before it are two of the most famous and you don't have to be a scholar to know that this is not about fishing skills, this is not about how to sail, this is not what to do on a lake, this is not about how do you see weather patterns, this is to how do you recognize the power and the sovereignty of God and how do we respond with confidence and hope when storms come into your life? Not if, but when they come into your life, when a trial, which there's a difference between a trial and a consequence, we'll look at here in a minute, But when the trial comes when the storm hits when the bottom falls out when hell breaks loose in your life which it will some of you are there right now some of you it's that marital storm others of you it's that kid storm others of you it's that financial storm others of you it's that hell storm last week we saw so many folks just crying out to god god would you do this and so today's a follow-up to that is what do you do when you find yourself in the storm so We're gonna do kind of the work up front for about eight or 10 minutes, and then we're gonna see, okay, from, from the text, what are some things that God says, listen, here are resources for you when this happens. So John chapter six, verse 16 and 17. Let me explain a couple of things. Verse 16 says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, to Capernaum. It was now dark, And Jesus had not yet come to them. So context-wise, this is right after the famous feeding of the 5,000 miracle. When Jesus takes basically the equivalent of a happy meal and he feeds 5,000, actually says 5,000 men, which the way they would count then is just the men or just the heads of household. And then what happens is you could, let's say, multiply that. Let's just say by at least a couple, all right? So you're talking about 10, 15, maybe upwards to 20,000 people And then it simply says, in our text, it says, when evening came his disciples went down to the sea. This is one of those miracles, though, that is in, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and when you read that, one of the things we've talked about over and over again is those are called parallel passages. Now, 90% of John is unique to John. Let me say that again, 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to John. And so the first three have a lot of overlapping material, but in this case, you see overlapping with Matthew and Mark and then, and then John as well. And so when you look at Matthew's account, it says this, it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And that's important. Jesus actually made them get into the boat. You're like, why would he do that? When you look at the gospel accounts of happening right, what's happening right before this, when he feeds 5,000 people, in, scholars say in that day and time, all the Jewish people thought, all right, we're looking for somebody that's a miracle worker like this. And when he arrives, he's gonna set up shop as the king, the king over everybody and God's people, the Jews, they will live at peace. And so when this miracle happens, you see this rush to say, we're gonna make him king now, we're gonna make him king now. And what Jesus had to do is basically like, listen, this is not, I'm not coming here to rule and to reign on a throne that is earthly. I'm gonna actually die on a bloody cross. That's how I'm gonna bring peace to the world. There'll be a day when I sit on the throne, but right now I'm coming to die on a cross. And so he said, I'm not gonna let them make me king. So he actually goes off, sends them off in a boat. He goes up on a mountain to overlook things and to pray. And here's what it says. It says, He sent them into the storm. Don't miss this. One of the biggest Christian cliches is the safest place you could ever be is the will of God. The safest place, the safest place to be is the will of God. Now, is that true? It's kinda, it's kinda true. It's true in a sense, and it's certainly true after you die. But to say that the safest place is the will of God, meaning that the easiest place is the will of God, that God's will for you is Cadillacs and cotton candy, that would not be true. As a matter of fact, you're going to see in the 16th chapter, he says, listen, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. But what what I need you to see here is they obey a direct command of God and they end up in a storm as a result, not of disobedience, but of obedience. God tells them to do something, they do it, and they're in a storm, which by the way, let me take a quick parenthesis here. This is a good time to remind ourselves what's the difference between a trial and a consequence. Because a, people get them confused, a trial, is a difficult season allowed by God to develop our character. A consequence is a result of foolish choices that we made or are still making. And the reason that's so important is the way you respond to them is different. If it's a trial that God allowed to develop our character, because that's what he does, right? I mean, if you're like, I wanna be a more loving person or I wanna trust God more, all right? He does not change our character like a pharmacist fills a prescription. He's not like, all right, that guy, Joe, needs some more love, bink, here's four pills of love. That's not what he does. He puts you in a position where you've got to love people, and sometimes those are difficult people, believe me. Sometimes he's like, okay, I wanna trust God more. I wanna have a stronger walk with the Lord. Well, he could either throw a bunch of pills of trust at, or he could put you in a situation where you have no choice but to trust God. And so the idea is when you're in a trial, what do you and I do? We trust God. If it's a consequence, what do you and I do? We repent. We repent. I turn from my sin and turn to God. And so, when you go through this text, what happens? What you got to understand is they obeyed God and still found themselves in a storm. Verse eighteen: The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. I know I've been promising you for two years we're going to do a trip to Israel and some of y'all have and we're going to do it someday all right someday it's going to happen all right we'll do we'll do that but if those of you that have been there uh, what happens is the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level the mountains that surround the Sea of Galilee can get up to as high as 9,000 feet above sea level and so when the cold air of the mountains hits the warm air of the sea these storms can kick up sometime really really quickly so you've got kind of a nice day and everything's going pretty good and then boom, a little system comes through and everything just goes out the window. And so again, some of you are in a storm. Some of you it's marital, some of you it's money, some of you it's health. And it's not that you haven't tried to get out of it. Matter of fact, there's some things that God does call you to do. Here in the text it says they rode three or four miles, though whole trip was somewhere around six miles that they were gonna take. So they were like working their tail off, it's like three to four to five o'clock in the morning and they've only made it halfway through and they're exhausted and they're tired and uh, they're not making the progress they thought. And if I can confess, when trials come that are unexpected, that is very difficult for those of you that are uh, planners. All right, oh, as a matter of fact, let me raise your hand at any campus if you would consider yourself a planner just raise your hand. Okay. All right. I'm raising my hand with you. And we like to call ourselves planners. Okay. Other people call us control freaks. All right. There's a different way to look at it. We like that we're planning and we have our list and we're going to, we love checking it off. All right. Other people are like, why are you so controlling? I mean, let the spirit of God lead. And I'm like, the spirit of God can lead on Wednesday, just like he can on Sunday morning. So you, you got all of those things going on. But for the planner, for the planner. When God allows a storm, we see it as an interruption. And oftentimes, it's not an interruption. Oftentimes, what we see as an interruption is God's agenda. And so the story goes this way in verse 19. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. All right, just so... uh, you kind of know I did my homework. I was teasing some people here on the front row before the service. It was like, hey, I really didn't have time to study this week, and you, know, you got a sermon. It was like six minutes before the service started, and, and uh, he's like, you're joking, right? I'm like, yeah, kind of. I'll come back in about five minutes, see what you got. So all I say, I, I did have a chance to study this week, and what I saw is some commentators, they were like, well, you know, well, he, he really wasn't walking on the water. He was walking on the shore, and they were so tired from the trip it was an illusion in the way the moon was hitting on the Sea of Galilee. It can make it look like he's walking on the water when he's walking on the shore. And all those in favor of that uh, interpretation? No, no. Now he's walking. That's, it's called a miracle, not a Wednesday, okay? That's, that's the reason that they wrote it down. It was unusual. Like this doesn't happen every single day. And so he's, and, and, and the fact that they were frightened, they're not gonna be frightened over the fact that he's walking on the shore. And so all that being said, you're like, what, what's the point of this? One of the main points, if you remember the whole Gospel of John, is John is trying to reiterate over and over and over, is this is the Son of God. This is God incarnate, in the, this is God in the flesh. And we, he's like, I want you to believe he's God in the flesh. Way back in the Old Testament, a guy named Job, he put it this way. He said, God alone has spread out the heavens and God alone marches on the waves of the sea. In other words, way back in the Old Testament, it's like the only one that can walk on the water is God. And so here John is taking that from way back there. And it's like here is another example of God incarnate. And it says they were frightened. And it's a mix between the storm and it's a mix between the fact they're seeing Jesus walk on the water. Now let's talk about fear for a second. Fear, the word for fear there is the word phobia. Phobia. It's a visceral reaction to the circumstances that you think are about to crash into your boat. Fear is something is about to happen and it is not good. It is a gut reaction about the future. Now we got a bunch of different ages in here. And so those of you that grew up kind of in the 70s, you'll remember this. In the 70s, I mean nowadays there are Actually, nobody even hardly watches cable anymore or even dish, nobody even watches channels. I mean, it's awesome. But back in the day, even before you had 100 channels, you had three, three channels, all right? Three, that's all you had, all right? You had CBS, ABC, and NBC, that's what you had, three channels, and you watched them. And so think about the way you and I think as three channels, channel number one Is your past channel number one is your past it's good to learn from our past but if we live in our past that's not good we learn from our past but if you're in Christ you're a new creature and so if you live in your past and you live in your shame and you live in your condemnation and yet God has said you're a new creature that's not the way God wants you to live learn from your past don't live in your past the channel two is the present that's a good channel A lot of good stuff happens in the present. A lot of good stuff happens on channel two. Channel three is your future. The future's okay to plan for and to prepare for, but channel three, if our minds get in the wrong place, that is exactly where fear comes from. Fear comes from, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen with the stock market? I mean, I've got all my, I got all my equity tied up in that. What's gonna happen if our, my kids go rogue? What's gonna happen if my spouse finds somebody else? What's gonna happen if the doctor calls and I have what my mom had? And, what, and it's just it's the future and it's, it's not good. I, I don't like what's there. Please hear me on this. When you and I think about fear, 366 times in the Bible, for every single day of the year plus leap year, 366 times God says do not fear do not fear do not be anxious Uh, fear not over and over and over again here's something actually I just thought about in the last couple years oftentimes people think that the opposite of faith is doubt and I would disagree with that the opposite of faith is not really doubt you can have some doubts and some unanswered questions you're like how do you know that because the disciples did Disciples had a bunch of unanswered questions. Just read the Gospels, and they're having all these unanswered questions. And they even had some afterwards, but they're like, you know what? If the tomb is empty and he came up out of the grave, I can put my questions on hold for a while. But listen, if you have some questions, you could make a really, really good disciple. Like, why, God, why? I'm not sure why you. Why did you do this, or God, how did you do this? All right. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear says, fear says God isn't who he says he is and will not do what he says he will do. That's the opposite of faith. Faith says, I believe that God is who he says he is and you can hold on to his promises. That's faith. Faith says, I believe that God is who he is, self-described himself. And I also believe he's spoken some things and I'm gonna hold on to those while I wait for those things to actually happen. But fear says that stuff's not gonna happen. God will not do that. God will not protect you. God will not intervene. God will not do that. That's the opposite of faith. And even to kind of hone in on that more, people are like, well, how can Fear's an emotion. Actually, fear's not as much. When you're scared, that's an emotion. And being scared is, is fine. Being scared, you can be scared and not be fearful. Scared is an emotion. But you can be scared... And step out in faith, you know what that's called? That's called biblical courage. I am scared to death, but I believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And so by faith, I'm going to step out through, through how scared I am into faith. And so when you're scared, don't, it's, don't punch, punch yourself up. When you're scared, that happens. Just understand, listen, I don't have to be fearful. God will do what he says he will do all the time every time. By the way, if there's, one good, if there's one good fear in the Bible, not if, there is one good fear in the Bible. There's one good fear in the Bible, and it's the fear of God. And some of you are like, well, that's kinda, that kind of sounds archaic, fear of God. I thought we we're supposed to love God. Actually, the fear of God in the Old Testament is very similar to the love of God in the New Testament. But when you think about the fear of God, when you think about the fear of God, it's not some relic of the past. I'll give you one example, because here's the problem a lot of us have. Some of us are so casual with God, you need to to get revived with some fear of God. Others of you, you grew up with such a fear of God, God needs to remind you of his intimacy and that he's a good, good father. John, actually, the guy that wrote this, is a very good example for us. Okay, John, we've seen it a couple times, we'll see it four or five more times in our series, John oftentimes describes himself, he doesn't name himself, he will just describe himself as, quote, the one who Jesus loved take it as you want to, right? It's it's John writing the gospel of John, talking about how much Jesus loved John. So he's like, all right, fine, whether it be humility or whatever, he's like, you know what? I'm the one, I'm the one Jesus loved. Without a doubt, you see that Jesus and John were very, very tight. You could call them best friends, if you will. He was in that inner circle, and if there was one of the three that was of the inner of the inner circle, it was John. It was John. And so Revelation 1, written by John, is the first time John gets to see his best friend after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And when you read Revelation 1, what happens? Revelation 1, John at the first time he sees his best friend. He didn't go up and give him a high five. They don't go up and chest bump. The Bible says that John fell at his feet as though a dead man. That's the fear of God. It's you know what, that's God, I'm not, that's so different than who I am. And loved ones, I mean I love you, I love you, but listen to me, some of the reason that if your worship is apathetic, if your faith is small, if you're scared of people at the club, if they think that you're a Jesus follower, if your obedience is just kind of partial obedience, it's because you've lost your fear of God. You've lost the fear of God. And so today we have to remember Jesus is not just, he's not our homeboy, all right? He's not, he's not the, he's not just our our buddy, our co-pilot, he's not just the shepherd that snuggles with the sheep, all right, he is the thrice holy God of the universe, if you think about C.S. Lewis's uh, description in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and what he would always say or there's that famous scene where the little girl is like talking about Aslan, the lion who is kind of a figurative Christ in, 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 in the movie. They're like, is the lion? Is the lion safe? Because this lion is like big and strong and powerful and intimidating and the, and the answer is no, he's not safe but he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. That's what we have to remember. So last two verses, verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, if you underline your Bible or in your app, highlight that, circle that, it is I. We'll come back to that. It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I love that. He calms the disciples before he calms the storm. And that's what he's gonna do to you sometimes. Sometime he's gonna calm the storm, which calms you. A lot of times he calms you and then he calms the storm. You're like, well, how's he gonna calm me? Number one, you're like, what do I do in a storm? Let me give you three quick ones. Real quick. You see right in the text. Number one is just put the word, listen up. Listen up, we talked about this one point one time, listen up. In the text it says this, but he said to them, but he said to them. (laughs) When people come up and they say, man, I wish I could hear God's voice. Man, I wish I could hear God speak to me. Wish I could hear God speak. Wouldn't that be amazing to live back there and God like spoke and they could audibly hear him. You wanna hear God speak to you? You want to hear God speak? You want to hear the voice of God out loud? Then sit down, take out a Bible, and read it out loud. And just read it out loud. And as you read the Bible out loud, that is the way that God is choosing to speak to you. Don't make it more complicated than it is. God wrote a book. He reveals himself through these pages. And what happens is the Spirit of God takes the word of God and talks to the son or daughter of God. That's normal. And we take it for granted. And we got brothers and sisters all over this world when they just get like a little fragment. They like pass it around to families and they read it and they read it and they memorize it and then they hide it because it's illegal to have the book there and then they'll pass it along to somebody else because they understand, listen, this is God's word. We, you go into my study, I probably have... 13 Bibles of every translation. And so, listen up. I would just say this, if you, don't, if you don't get in this book, whether it be a phone app or maybe even just listen to it on the Dwell app, whatever it is, consistently what will happen is you will, become, you will become a practical atheist. I don't mean that in a dramatic way other than the fact, I'm not saying you're an atheist. I'm saying you'll become a pragmatic atheist, you will it's just a matter of time because this thing right here this is like a superfood you know how those dietitians are all like hey you got to have these superfoods and these superfoods they will make you super strong and you know what superfoods are like kale and blueberries and fried okra and, and those like superfoods right there they like if i eat that it's amazing all right please this is the superfood for your faith it really is now i'm, I'm not saying you got to read it all day every day but if you read it several times a week God will be able to speak to you, right? And one of the main things we have here at our church is, yeah, we got some bunch of young teachers and I do the best I can and try to make it creative and clear and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest thing we want you to know is you can do it. You can. We'll even send you like a little, we'll send you a text out of the Gospel of John and give you a reading plan. I mean, I don't know how to make it any easier than that. So the bottom line is you just say, I can get in there I can get in there, God would speak to me. Because some of you, what this will be, this will be like your finest hour. We look at storms and we think, this is the worst thing ever. I'm not saying they're not bad. But if you and I respond to the storms right, if a trial is a difficult circumstance allowed by God to develop me as a man, and I respond to that right, and God makes me a better man and a better follower of Christ, the joy and all that stuff, that will will flourish. All the stuff I ultimately want, that will flourish. And so the enemy's going to say, this is your, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. It's like the Apollo 13 movie. If You see the Apollo 13 movie, there's this, this penultimate scene where this one guy, you know, Apollo 13, you got the mission to the moon and things start to go haywire and they're not sure they can get the guys back. As a matter of fact, they don't think they can get the three astronauts back. Remember what this one guy comes up, he comes up and it's like, this could be the biggest disaster in the history of NASA. You got friends like that? I mean, if you got, I mean, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And I love what Ed Harris said. He says, actually, with all due respect, sir, I believe this will be our finest hour. With all due respect, sir, I believe this will be NASA's finest hour. And it was. Loved one. Just think about it. What if the trial you're going through, fast forward three months down the road, and you're a stronger man of God. You love Jesus more. And yeah, it stunk while you were going through it, but now a little Skippy over here who's five years old, he saw dad praying for the first time in those three months. He saw mom getting up a little bit early and getting in the word and praying and underlining stuff from the Bible. And then God uses that momentary, difficult time to disciple your kids, so little Skippy ends up coming to Christ at seven because he saw mom and dad walking with Jesus. You would say, that's worth it. That's what you would say. And, but you gotta come back to it. It's like, guess what? It, I, got, I gotta listen up. God is speaking. Let me give you one I actually added early this morning. take The comms people love it when I change the outline at, in, in the morning. I mean, seriously, they love it. They're like, thank you, Pastor that's what we wanted to have happen at eight o'clock in the morning that you add a point. That we love you, thank you for that. so grace for them. But here's the part that's super important to know as well, because the, the thought hit me: Who do you got in the boat with you? So look around. These disciples had other disciples in the boat with them. This is such an important point right now. You are not saved as a community. You're not. You and I are saved individually. We are not saved as a community, but we are saved into a community. We're not saved as a community. That is a personal relationship with Jesus. When you repent of your sin and say what you did on the cross somehow counted for me and you embrace him by faith, that is an individual decision, all right? God saves first names. If he saved you, it's because he called you by name. He doesn't save you because you got the same last name as your great-great-grandma. That's an individual thing. But he saves you into a community called the church, into a family. You got brothers and sisters and the question is, do you have any that you actually do community with? Anybody in the boat with you? I promise you, when the storms hit and you don't have anybody around you, one of the biggest resources, who do I have that love Jesus, that are right there in the boat with me? And I, let me, uh, I know it's fashionable right now. It's like, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really, I don't really need, you know, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I don't really need corporate worship and I don't really need my connect group. Man, what book are you reading? Seriously, what book are you, you're not reading this book. You know, this book has over a hundred one another's, a hundred, serve one another, love one another, confess to one another, wash one another's feet over and over and over again. And so a Christian it's like, man, I don't, I don't need those other folks. I'm just kinda doing my own, I'm just kinda doing my own, my own deal. What that just comes to mind is like, it's like that, man, I don't, need no, I don't need no team to be a football player. I mean, I don't need a team to be a football player, really. And if you, if you think you're a football player and you've got no team, you're just a guy walking around with like really tight pants carrying a helmet. That's all you are. People are like, man, that's kind of weird. So bottom line is this, is uh, the Bible calls a church a body. And what happens to a body part that gets disconnected from the rest of the body? It's bad. All right, what happens to it? It starts to disintegrate and eventually it just dies and that's what's happened just gets disconnected man online's awesome online's awesome if you're in Montana and we don't want geography to be a barrier for if we can help in your discipleship process but you this is supplemental it's supplemental it's it's not fundamental it's supplemental you need a you need a local church that you actually rub shoulders with cuz again the way god grows you it's not theoretical it's practical with real people flawed people all right the one I actually had in there this morning is number three and that is this we'll end with this is look up this is that phrase I had you underline this is super cool This is one of the coolest little spots you just you can read over it and never even notice it was there but if you look look at the little phrase there and he says it is I so they're freaking out oh, he's like do not fear And he says, it is I, it is I, it is I, check this out, all right, it is I is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament declaration that God made to Moses when Moses was freaking out. And he's like, hey God, what do I tell them if they're like, who sent me to, you know, say, let my people go? He says, you tell them I am sent you. This is the Greek equivalent of what God told Moses way back in the Old Testament. He's like, you tell him, I am sent you. And what you see throughout this, you see throughout the Gospel of John these I am statements that are even more clear. He's like, you know what, to the to the person who is like super uh, super in darkness, I am the light, the person who's lost, I am the way, the person who's confused, I am the truth, the person who needs a fresh start, I am the I am the door what's amazing is here's here's the part that's you got to get the miracle was Jesus walking on the water that was a miracle for sure but you know what's even a bigger miracle is the fact that the God got in the boat with a bunch of sinners that's the miracle people a lot of times are like well Jesus never actually claimed to be deity this is one of those places you can take him. he is claiming the same thing that God claimed in the Old Testament he's like listen I am is in the boat with you and then he says it over and over again, whether he says, I am the bread, I'm the door, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the same kind of statements. So here's what he's saying. It's like, by getting in the boat, he's like, I'm a God who is with you. I'm not distant, I'm not far off, I'm not preoccupied, I'm gonna to go to a cross and I'm gonna take your sin. Here's a, hit, here's, a, here's a thought that hit me late last night as I was going to sleep. I said, I put down gospel-centered, y'all do that if you get a thought, if you don't put it down in your phone or write it down, can't remember it? I never had that happen so but I'll write it down anyway and so I wrote it down as I'm going to sleep last night and here's what here's what finally hit me as I was thinking about this gospel-centered biblical worship gospel-centered biblical worship when I say that I'm talking about the recognition and the adoration that God is who he says he is gospel-centered biblical worship reminds your soul that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied that's what it does. So when you're singing these songs like Raise the Hallelujah or Lamb of God or Oh Praise the Name, what it's doing is it's taking a soul that can get shriveled up and weary and tired and distracted and it's reminding you that soul of yours, you know what? The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. I have come near. But also the throne is occupied. I'm sovereign over all of this. So if those waves are coming in, the one of the ways you get out of that is you worship your way out of that sometimes the circumstances change. Because how does the text end? It says immediately, boom, trial was over. We We thank God for that. Sometimes that trial goes on. What you and I can do in the midst of the storm is you can worship your way out of that storm. Now here's what we're gonna do. I know worship, you got a lot of different stuff because the bottom line is what I said earlier is this. This is a mixture of, it's a mixture of awe and intimacy. Awe is like, God is huge, he calms the water. Intimacy, he knows me and loves me and paid my sin debt on the cross and he brings me near and he's a good, good dad. You're like, which one is it? They're both super important. They're both true, they're both super important. If you grew up and all it was was the fear of God and all you do is you're scared of God, you need to understand that He knows every hair on your head. You need to understand the Bible says He hides your tears in a bottle. You need to understand that if you're in Christ one day, He's gonna take a nail scarred hand and reach over and He's gonna wipe away your tears. You need to know that. Others of you, again, you've gotten too casual with God. It's super easy to disobey Him. You're sitting there with a cup of coffee in your hand as you worship. All of that that's just apathetic, and you need to go back to like, man, that is God. That is the God Almighty who calms the storm, walks on the water, feeds 5,000. I got to put my coffee in. I got to put my coffee down. I'm going to put my hands up. That's what you need to do. So here's what we're going to do. One of the things we talked about as a church is we want to have at every campus, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart like six months ago is to cultivate what we just are gonna call a response culture. When you read the Bible, there's always, God is always calling you and how to respond. Now that might be different and it will be different, different days for different people. The three basic ones that we will do virtually every single Sunday, every Sunday, these are appropriate. We're just gonna say, come sing and bring, come sing and bring come means, you know what, we got these prayer benches up here. You need to come and you need to talk to God. Maybe that's repentance. Maybe that's just delivering a burden back over to him and say, you know what, God, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to kneel there and I need the help of God. So that's, that's come. Always appropriate, never inappropriate. It's not just big days when you come forward like last week and it's every, every time that's appropriate. That's what we want to have cultivated. A second one is sing. We sing for the glory of God. And then thirdly, we bring. Now, we hadn't passed an offering plate in like two and a half years. And we're not gonna pass one today, so just relax. Just relax, all right? By the way, y'all do better without an offering plate, by the way, it's like over 100% of the budget. We don't pass an offering plate, so I'm kinda scared to ever start it back up again. So, But when it comes to bring, that is kinda part of what we do. So for some of you are like, all right, I need to make a commitment to be a part of the mission of God. Maybe I'm, I am even go online and sit there and. And, and I'll do it while we sing. But the biggest challenge today would be this: is it would be the middle one, sing. So I'm going to read you a couple of lyrics, and we're going to have a, we're going to have a praise contest. We have decibel readers at every campus, and we are going to see which campus really believes what we're about. All right? Hendersonville said they were going to beat everybody. Rivard said not so quick. I'm not sure Arden knows yet, but the bottom line is we are going to uh, we're going to sing a song. It'll start off low, so if you need to come and pray, uh, that's awesome. But in a minute, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you stand, and then we're going to go slow. But then it'll ramp, and all the thing, All the only rules are push yourself to say, you know what? Am I singing like I believe it? Here's the song. Here's some of the lyrics, and then I'm going to have you stand. says I raise a hallelujah and I love this in the presence of my enemies that's hearkening back to Psalm 23 it's like hallelujah by the way it's it's a hard word to interpret it basically means praise to God it means gratitude to God and when the song says I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies that is an expression of faith That means I'm sitting in the presence of my enemies, but before I'm even out of the storm, I'm gonna raise my gratitude to God, not because I'm in the storm, but because he's over the storm. That's what you're saying. So I'm gonna raise a hallelujah by faith that God is sovereign over the storm. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I remember singing this song at the start of COVID, out there in a cornfield, taking a run, thinking, man, what in the world is going on? This song so ministered to my soul because the sounds of unbelief, all they were saying is like, man, everything's different. Everything's gonna change. This The world's gonna cut whatever this is. You know, Gas will be $5, just kidding. I'm just saying, but it was gonna say, my unbelief, all those voices, those voices and what you have to do is one of the things worship does is worship helps the gospel speak into your life louder than the voices of your enemy. Understand that? And so when you sing, Part of what you're doing is you're just singing, because all the songs we look at are either straight scripture or Bible-based. And then one last one, and this is the part I said earlier. He says, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. It's the middle of the storm. Easy to sing when the storm's over, correct? that's easy. Who can't do that? Hey, I want a belly. Well, praise God. Well, I'm glad you can sing. That's awesome. But faith is, you know what? I'm gonna sing in the middle of it. Can't see the end of it. I can see God, and I can see God in the midst of it. Here's the part it says, louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises, Word Up from the ashes, up from the ashes, hope will arise. What a great word picture. And here it is Death is defeated. This is right. Death is defeated, the king is alive. Death is defeated, the king is alive. So what you're saying is, you know what? It's recognition. It's recognition what? The tomb is empty. And the throne is occupied, the tomb is empty, and the throne is occupied. And if that's the case, regardless of maybe the hell you're going through, you can lift up your voice and you can praise. So here's what I'm gonna do: wherever you are, whatever campus you are, again we're gonna we got you got like a three minute contest. I know we got some competitive people. Let's compete for the Lord, correct? Let's compete for the glory of God. So everybody, where you are, if you'd stand, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna do like a quick 20 second prayer, and then it's all it's on you. You got three minutes to be able to say, God, this is what I think of you. So Father, that's what our prayer is. That's what our prayer is. Thanks for being with us in the storm and thanks for being sovereign over the storm. God, we wanna trust you if this is a trial and we want to repent if this is a consequence. And so let us sing, let us come, and let us bring, in Jesus' name.